TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Stories of that game and what happened in the clubhouse is, is fantastic. There's no game that can bleep you like this one. <laughs> it's Roycey on baseball. Let's go here. Tracy and Manny Hill here talking some ball. We're going to have Buster Olney later. And uh, this is uh, the uh, weekly uh, Racing on Baseball. Next week, the TK doubleheader, uh, Kirkjian and Kelly. And uh, you, can't beat, uh, you can't beat the baseball talk you hear. So uh, we're all rooting for Big Poppy. Uh, glad yeah. to see that he made it to the hospital in Boston. Uh, uh, when you uh, get shot and uh, anywhere, it isn't good, but uh, uh, to uh, have the organs damaged as they apparently are, uh, he's lucky, and I would think once uh, you uh, do a little surgery there, what you begin to worry about is infection, and you got to be mm-hmm. uh, you got to be somewhere where you're going to be able to handle the infection because that becomes the danger. I think I'm not uh, I'm not a doctor, but uh, <laughs> I do think that's the uh, that's the thing, and uh, he was uh, you know he was uh, he, he'll. Uh, Probably should be pretty good now that they got him in Boston, which is one of the great medical uh, centers of the universe there. So uh, any good. But uh, Big Poppy, uh, we had him here as a kid, kind of a fun-loving kid. Some of my uh, uh, favorite stories, uh, he and Kosky were the uh, best of buddies. Yeah. Uh, two great Kosky stories with him. One was uh, in spring training – when uh, Kosky got in there early and uh, put uh, peanut butter in uh, uh, David's uh, under underwear, so when when David, when <laughs> I think da- I remember you telling me this story David before. Slipped on his uh, David slipped on his underwear to leave for the day, and his and uh, he pulled him. <laughs> Because he wasn't a boxer guy, he was a, like a briefs guy, and he yeah. pulled him up, and, and <laughs> that caused. And the good thing about David is he'd get mad mm-hmm. when you know the you know you love to play pranks on guys that can't take it, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, the yeah. best kind. You know, that's uh, it's like Adrian you, Beltre when oh, you know, sure. people try to yeah, touch his head. His head. He, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's, you know, <laughs> it's not a bit. He hates it. Right. And, and yeah. Poppy did not like being uh, practical jokes. But I think my favorite was later they're getting ready to go on a road trip. And Poppy's suits were things of beauty, right? Yeah. And he, got a, he has a new suit, and it's kind of a... Brownish, goldish, striped, and you know this is a massive man, six mm-hmm. foot five, and you know two thirty-five, maybe two forty then, but yeah. six foot five, you know, all of six foot five. He got a little bigger and later, but he's got this suit, and he liked to hit the road trips. I mean, he was he <laughs> wanted to look good for the road trips, sure. wherever they were going. They might have been going to New York or someplace, but he had a new suit, and it was hanging in his. Uh, a locker at the Metrodome, and Kosky was on the disabled list. Kosky wasn't playing that day. And when they come in, uh, you know, Poppy comes in, gets and goes back and showers. And when he comes out, when he comes back out, Kosky's sitting in front of his own stall in 
David's new suit. He's wearing <laughs> he's wearing Ortiz's new suit. You know, one of the few guys who could fit in it. You yeah, know, because yeah. uh, Koski was about six three or four. But uh, yeah, and Koski and Ortiz was really fueling that day. I mean, <laughs> to the point you wonder. But Koski, I think, knew. Where the edge, he would push you to the edge. He knew where the line but, but was, he and he knew, knew not but to. Just barely, sure. just barely, yeah. <laughs> just barely. But uh, you know, playing pranks and and David was, you know, Koski had these wonderfully well thought out, subtle pranks, and then you know, David's were like dumping a bucket of water on your head or something you know there was no there was no thought into uh, yeah. into what he'd do when he got mad but uh it was a uh, great i was uh, looking at some stuff i wrote uh, on him through the years yesterday and when they won their playoff series i had a little secondary story on how uh i mean not when they won their playoff series the next year when they were back in the playoffs uh, and he was gone. And he was already gone and to they Boston. They were getting ready then, yeah. to play the playoffs, and Koski was. It was a story on Koski misses his friend Ortiz as, yeah. they, as they started the, uh, you know, as they started the playoffs that year. And uh, so was Poppy. Was, was he? Was he oh, pretty fun to to, oh, to talk players. to? Everything yeah, at that yeah, time. Yeah, he was fine. He was. Uh, he was. His his English was uh, really rough, and we didn't have. Elvis Martinez and somebody do it as an interpreter right. to make him more comfortable. But, uh, yeah, he was great. I mean, he was in, and the beloved in the, in the clubhouse of yeah. the players. Just, he was, a, you know, cause he could, you know, he was a, he was a tall Eduardo Escobar, you know, yeah. he was like, uh, you know, the, a lot of stuff focused around him. And, uh, it was, uh, it was a sad deal for this, uh, you know, that they ended up uh, letting him go. Uh, you know, the funny thing, though, is, Manny, I went back and looked at uh, what was written when they released him. Mm-hmm. And we didn't, we didn't, didn't raise holy it. hell. I, I thought I might actually have a column in there defending it. I didn't, thank mm-hmm. God. <laughs> but uh, we, we did. Lavelle was covering the winter meetings, and it was like eight or nine graphs. Of you know that they no takers, so they uh, let him go, and uh, and Boston, and, the Red Sox didn't sign him no, until, until February. I think. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he was he was out was, there for a while. He was out there. I think people were worried about his injuries. He'd had some injuries. Yeah. He'd had the hammock bone, but uh, you know the power was always there. And mm-hmm. uh, you know the the other idea was. He was young enough where people were saying, well, all he could do is DH, and they didn't want to, you know, because he was a bad first baseman. And, uh, but uh, it was, uh, you know, he was, that, that 03, 04, you know, one of those teams might have gone to the World Series if they'd kept him. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, if he would have been hit in the middle of that order. The, the the plan A was to use Matt Lacroix as a DH. That didn't quite work out. Yeah, that that it was, uh, didn't it work out. It worked out well. better than the year they were going to have him be the catcher. However, when, <laughs> yeah. when poor Matty was spending most of his time running back to the backstop. But uh, yeah, I always uh, think when I think about that too, Matt Lacroix. I always think about when Frank Robinson with the, oh, with the yeah. Nationals had, had him out cried. there. Yeah, just had him cry. Pull, out, just, pull out. Yeah, Matt. Yeah. Uh, great guy, by the way. Hell oh, yeah. Guy. And, and he could hit if you only had to play him against left-handed pitching, but mm-hmm. uh, it uh, didn't work out. But uh, the big Tom Kelly, uh, David Ortiz feud that David still has 
I said, I told David a couple of times when I talked to him, you know, you did hit 200 doubles off that left field wall. And, yeah. ah, you know, he would never, he would, uh, but, uh, uh, you, you know, I've told you about this. We were on the show together that when David Dorsey and I had a chance to sit outside with him for almost an hour in 2016 before his last year uh, when he was eating lunch in, in Boston, in, in Fort Myers and uh it was it was amazing how thoughtful he had become and his and yeah. what a smart hitter he'd become you know because when 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 he was a kid he was like so many of them he was you know gonna hit it nine hundred miles he was he was to say he was Sano only better contact hitter than Sano was but I was thinking now you were uh, you were a lad in nineteen ninety one I was seven okay. years old so that cannot be your greatest baseball moment of you know. Since you became fully aware of the game. Correct. Yep. I'm saying, you know what is the most underrated, fantastic moment in the last quarter century, 2004, when the Red Sox come back from 3-0 against Against the the Yankees. Yankees. That gets lost. We talk about World Series champions. We talk about things like that. It had never happened. Yeah. And it was the Red Sox against the Yankees. If the Yankees had come back against the Red Sox, none of us would have been surprised. We would have expected it. Because it would have been, you know, the 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 curse and all that stuff. The year before it was 3-1, wasn't it? And the Reds and uh, I think it was the three, Aaron Boone home run. Or I think it was three two. I think it was three two. And they came back and uh, you know they 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 beat them twice. I would I would covered that that one, mm-hmm. but oh four, Dave Roberts being safe and, and remember this is before replay. Yeah. So whoever made that call at second base. That's a hell of a call mm-hmm. because it was inches. Know, he was safe by inches, but the and imagine the brouhaha if if they'd call him out because mm-hmm. he was safe by three inches, and to then tie it and then play another however the hell long, yep. and uh, you know to stay alive. Finally, Poppy wins the game in what the fourteenth or some damn thing. But did you ever? Okay, is it? Is a? It's a. Goofy, romantic comedy with Jimmy Fallon and uh, Drew Barrymore. Oh, what's uh, I know drug? what you're talking Fever about. Fever Pitch. Fever Pitch, yes, yes, Fever yes. Pitch. And I watch that a lot just because of the bar scene. Because game three, they get beat 15 to 9 or something, yeah, right? I and the game that. lasts four and a half hours. They just get pounded unmercifully. They're now behind three games to nothing. Yep. It's going to be a sweep. And they come back and win four, and that's it. And then yep. they go beat St. Louis four and you, straight. And you knew, after they beat the Yankees, yeah. you knew the Cardinals, the Cardinals had, no, had shot. no chance. And that was a great Cardinals, Cardinals no team. Chance. That yeah, was a Cardinals team that won, what, 104, 105 it games? It but was. you just you knew they had no shot. Yeah, but it's, uh, I mean, that to me is, uh, you know, in I, I didn't get the, I covered that World Series. I did not cover that uh, playoff series. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Sue Ann might have forced, but I, I did not. But uh, 
it was, uh, I mean, this is a, a fantastic baseball moment, 2004, yeah. when they came back. And, of course, Poppy was the man. You know, he won he won game four, and then he won six or seven, right? I mean, he won mm-hmm. another one. Then he hit a, I think he hit a. He, he was the MVP th- of that of yeah. that series, not the World Series. And then he hit a, was it game seven, he hit a home run off of Lucina? Maybe. Yeah. Well, didn't they kill him in Game Seven? Didn't yeah, they? yeah, it was they, like they, it was like they, ten to three yeah, or something they like that. Him yeah, because they they knocked around like Kevin Brown. Yeah, and I think yeah, it was Kevin Brown who started yeah. the game. I think. Yeah, they they went out and uh, and but it's uh, you know uh, that that Game Four, two thousand four, uh, one of the great moments of baseball history to have them come back and uh, and then win their first World Series in eighty six years. Yeah. And what a trend it started, didn't it? Yeah, the, them winning. <laughs> Two years later, or the next year, the Mighty Whiteys win. Yep. Chicago's first world championship since 1917. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Chicago with two teams hadn't won one in 88 years. <laughs> the poor, the and, how, about, how about the poor White Sox? 88 years. <laughs> they're, they're going through their own drought, and yeah. nobody's, Nobody you know, everybody's knows. talking Cubs, about the Cubs. Cubs the, the Cubs, Cubs, the Cubs drought, Cubs the Cubs won, drought, the Cubs and won. then, yeah. you know. Yeah, first time in 88 years. And the great joke on that, I covered that series, was, of course, the great joke on that is the White Sox have thrown a World Series more recently than they've won one. <laughs> you know, because the Black Sox were uh, yeah. two years, 1919. Is right? that, 19, yeah. Is that 05 White Sox? Is that one of the more forgotten? Yeah, they went 11 run? and 1. Yeah. They went 11 and 1, right? I think so, yeah. Because they, they lost one the, game. Because they swept the Red Sox in the LDS. And they I think. swept Houston. And then, yeah, and they swept Houston, and then I think they beat yeah, I Anaheim think they lost 4-1. One game. Well, uh, they were, I think they were tied 1-1 with Anaheim when A.J. stole first base. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah, that team is – and you know what? It was a colorful team, had the greatest, most colorful manager in my <laughs> life, next to Weaver, my yeah. favorite manager. And uh, yet, some characters yet they're, on that team, they're man. absolutely forgotten. It's yeah. it's incredible. Like it, uh, you know, the Cubs had to wait another ten years before they won theirs. When mm. the Cubs, I keep for sixteen, right? Sixteen, yeah, sixteen to two thousand sixteen. So uh, it is uh, it is hard being the Whiteys, man. In that, <laughs> in that, isn't it? I mean, I it's what's what's the comparable? Uh, you know, the Mets. People say the Mets versus the Yankees, but not now. But you know, when the Mets first came back. And that old, you know, the they were writing books. Jimmy Breslin was writing books about the Mets. And, mm-hmm. I mean, when the Mets came back, it was fantastic because the Yankees, they were good for about another three, four years. But then they entered what they call the Horace Clark era where they didn't do anything for a decade. And the mm-hmm. Mets owned the city, you know, In for, the 80s. for a long – Yeah, it was six, late 60s and 70s mm-hmm. they did. And then the Yankees uh, went back in 70s – but they went to the – Played the Dodgers three straight times, right? Seventy six, mm-hmm. seventy. And they had they have like one against it. the Reds too. Yeah, the Reds right? beat them. Yeah, Big the Reds. Red machine. Beat them. But anyway, uh, that uh, you know, Poppy and the role of the, the Red Sox and winning in two thousand four was uh, uh, you know after being down three zero to the Yankees is one of the most underrated moments in probably not underrated New England, but here I don't I don't think people remember that as well as they should. A great baseball moment. We'll be back. Hey, Buster. Now I gotta make a confession here. Buster and I had our conversation uh 
yesterday because of his schedule. So we got a little poppy talk there at the top that is uh, now been updated, and he is indeed in Boston and being treated for the uh, the uh, really serious gunshot wound and. Uh, what uh, you know, we whether we want to believe all the stories out there as uh, why this uh, took place or not, it was a, absolutely an attempted murder that was pre-planned. So, we uh, shall return with uh, racing on baseball with Manny Hill. Planning for a secure future requires sound investment advice. That's why I rely on my guy, Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold, for guidance in planning and maintaining a long-term financial strategy. This is Ricey, and I've known Josh for many years. I trust Josh and recommend him because he listens and delivers the kind of service that you'll need to feel confident about your financial future. I encourage you to get to know him the same way I did many years ago. Call Josh Arnold at 952 952- 925-5608 and set up your 48-minute no-obligation consultation. Call 952-925-5608. You'll always get straight talk, not sugar-coated advice. Call Mr. Money Talk, Josh Arnold at 952-925-5608. Investment advisor services offered by Josh Arnold Investment Consultant, LLC, a registered advisor in the state of Minnesota. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk. Buster Olney is with us. Uh, Buster, we're all uh, saddened by what happened with Big Poppy uh, on uh, this uh, Sunday night in uh, the Dominican Republic. It makes no sense. I guess we'll find out a little more information on uh, what's uh, going on. But uh, uh, Big Poppy uh, original reports, as they are often uh, inaccurate, said he was shot in the leg, but he's uh, shot in the uh, in the back and uh, liver damage and other uh, things, apparently. Just terrible, um, and it's interesting because you know a lot of players now will have prominent players will have security details, and I remember when I first heard that, I thought, boy, that's overreaction to autograph collectors. And then you see, you know, a videotape like that where someone just walks up and just shoots him in the back, and you know, tries to run off. Um, and it just, uh, it's unbelievable, and. You know, I guess the latest from our colleague at ESPN, Enrique Rojas, is that the Red Sox plane is in the Dominican Republic at this point, and once uh, David Orr is stable enough to uh, to travel, then he's going to go back to Boston, and they'll continue with his care there. And boy, I just—it's not surprising to see the outpouring of of uh, response to the situation from. You know, so many other players, so many other people in the game because he's beloved. You know, our our friend Tim Kirch and I were talking today about how, uh, you know, a lot of old school managers through the years never liked the idea of, of fraternization between players on different teams. But when Ortiz was involved, I always get the feeling that the managers were like, well, it's David, you know. <laughs> Everybody likes David and everybody responds to David and, and it was just looked at differently because – yeah, that's how gregarious he was, and that's how gregarious as a player, and how gregarious you know he is in retirement. Well, the uh, Twins, uh, one of the great blunders in baseball history, letting him go. And uh, I remember at the 2004 World Series, sitting on the bench next to him at Fenway, and he saw Tom Powers and I, and he just went off on the Twins, and uh, he was. Uh, 
kind of an immature uh, character then. And I had a long talk with him in 2017. Dave Dorsey from the Fort Myers paper and I got to sit down with him for an hour that spring when everybody was trying to. And we sat there and he had lunch. And it is amazing what a thoughtful guy he had become in uh, those years as a player. And also what a hitting scientist he was. We looked at him. And you see this big, you know, strong fellow, and you kind of thought, well, this just was a, a natural uh, talent of his, and he certainly had talent, but he also was a very smart hitter. A hundred percent. It was always interesting to me to, you know, to cover Red Sox games because inevitably when they were taking batting practice, David would look over at me and he'd give me the finger waggle, like, come over here. Uh, and he'd want to talk about some sort of issue going on in the game. Hey, how come this is this way? And how come they're not doing that way? You know, to your point about how thoughtful he was. I remember Travis Shaw telling me that, you know, he just loved to stand in the on-deck circle during a pitching change with David because David would just run through all of the, you know, the, the sequence of pitches that he was about to see or the things that were about to happen because he had such an understanding of hitting. And, you know, there's always a sort of running joke among the Red Sox players that he may not have known everybody's name. And I don't think when people talked about David being a, a great clubhouse leader that that wasn't necessarily at face value wasn't the case. Uh, but he absolutely led in those moments, and that's what other players talked about because he was absolutely not afraid <laughs> Like, he was, wasn't intimidated by anybody. He had such knowledge that the other players drew on uh, that, that they could always count on him to step up in those moments and, and apply all that knowledge that he had accumulated. And he said to me once that, you know, it's too bad that you learn, get, get all this knowledge when you're older and then you have to go away. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, you know, the Twins being in town there and even with the problems he had and, you know, he and Tom Kelly, uh, you know, he's, he's made that a legend that Kelly didn't want him to pull the ball, which was nonsense. But anyway, uh, Terry Ryan, when uh, the Twins were really having trouble getting through to uh, uh, Sano, uh, they, they tried to get, you know, they had uh, – had uh, David talked to him about, you know, and, and one one thing David had struggled with, or one one season there was he gained like 20, 25 pounds in the off season, and he got smart and said, I can't do this. And I, the day we were talking to him, he was sitting there eating chicken and avocado, and he says, you think I want to eat this? You think this is what I want to eat? But, uh, you know, he got himself back in shape. And uh, and I know another guy he adopted was like Kenny Vargas, great, big, strong uh, hitter who ended up, I think, going to Korea. But uh, he was uh, – it, it was funny to see, though, when the Twins were playing him in spring training to see all the uh, young Latin guys uh, just go over and spend as much time with Poppy as they could. A hundred percent. You know, and I – I've heard other specific examples where teams would reach out. Uh, you, know, you know, teams besides the Red Sox would be reaching out to him and said, "Hey, can you talk to this kid? Can you talk to that guy?" And again, you know, there was always the the running thing in the Red Sox clubhouse. Did David know the the, the name of the kid who was just called up from from Double A to fill in for two days? No, but he was just so warm of a personality. Uh, and so much of that, it reminds you of reading those stories about Babe Ruth, right, back mm-hmm. in the day, where he called everybody kid. Uh, but he was just so warm with everybody and so welcoming. And, and that's, you know, that's the way David always was as a player. Um, and, I, you know, I, and you're right. You know, it's funny because I, 
he, like a lot of athletes, you know, used that chip on the shoulder to drive himself. And I remember once he did it with me. I was on air when he was really struggling one year, and and I just parroted what I'd heard from scouts. You know what? He just doesn't. He's losing uh, yes. that speed. He's not able to get uh, get to fastballs inside quite as much. I said that on TV, and he just blasted me to local reporters. <laughs> and the next time I saw him, he couldn't have been nicer. And it was completely water under the bridge. But for that moment, I was handy as someone that he was going to use to motivate himself through that. Well, day. he did. That's that first two months of, uh, I can't remember what season it was. He was helpless, and it looked like yeah. it was all over. And then all of a sudden, I think they won a World Series that year or something. Or Anyway, uh, the other thing is, I was watching, and I remember talking to Ortiz, and and he said the reason he was quitting was because the legs, just what he had to put go through to keep his legs in good enough shape to try to hit. And now I watch Miguel Cabrera uh, just playing against the Twins here, and it's, it is it is amazing how it's the legs, Buster, because, you know, all Miguel's hitting now is uh, from the waist up, just like all the Pujols' hitting became yep. from the waist up. When they lose the legs, man, it's hard work. And it's not only with the hitters, it's also with the pitchers. Uh, you know, yesterday I had a conversation with John Lester of the Cubs about Sabathia and how uh, Sabathia had pitched on Sunday Night Baseball eight days ago. And uh, before that game, I asked CeCe, hey, because he's, you know, had this notorious problems with his right knee, which is not surprising yes. because throughout his life, uh, as a left-handed pitcher, he's been landing on that right knee at yes. times with 320 pounds, now 285. And I asked him, I said, hey, you're going to get your knee replaced? And I know CC well enough to know where you feel like that's not uh, an intrusive question. He looks at him and goes, yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as I'm done, he said, you know, I'm hoping that the 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 fact that I won't be competing as much will help me with the pain, but that might be which way to go. And the same thing with David. You know, David Ortiz talked about at the end of his career. I asked him, "Are you going to need some sort of corrective measures to help you with your issue with your feet, some fusion?" He said, "Yeah, I might. I'm hoping that the fact that I don't have to to run as much will help me." There's no doubt that. Especially for guys that big. I mean, Miguel Cabrera is probably two fifty-five, and yep. on a on a good day, and and Cece, as I said, now two eighty-five, and Ortiz, the end of his career, probably two fifty-five. That does take such a toll on those guys. Well, Miguel uh, hit a ball hard to right center field. Uh... Uh, yes, on Sunday against the Twins, and uh, was about ten feet from the wall. And I said, "You know, you're lucky you're facing him now instead of three years ago. That would have been uh, way up in the bleachers. Best right center field, right-handed power hitter I ever saw." Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's you know to see uh, you know to see him in his diminished state. Um, you know, to see C.C. Zabathia struggling the way that he is in terms of, you know, keep his legs underneath him, uh, no question. It's always it's always an issue with those guys who are older because, I mean, there's, you know, they are like the, the players that big to me are like uh, tires on a car. Eventually the tread wears thin and they just not able to operate uh, as they were able to before. 
Uh, Buster, the Giants uh, won three World Series in five years. You can't knock that. But I don't think there's a team in baseball more trouble than them right now. They got a bunch of 30-year-old uh, once valuable position players. And 30-year-old position players are not going to be uh, a hot market uh, when we get to the trading deadline at the end of uh, July. Uh, they are. Uh, and apparently the farm system doesn't have much either. That's uh, That's a bad situation right now. The rebuild is going to be from the ground up, and I really think that if Bruce Bochy hadn't announced that this is going to be his last year's manager and, and you know, continue in that role, that there would be a lot greater understanding about just how much of a, a how much turnover we're looking at here. Because probably if it were anybody, uh, a manager who didn't have a Hall of Fame res- yeah. resume probably be replaced by now, but they're riding out this year with him, they're not going to ride it out with Madison Bumgarner. He's going to be traded. Yesterday, I bumped into uh, Ellis Burks, who's a giant scout, and he was there to watch the the uh, the Cubs and the Cardinals. And I don't think that was a coincidence. We know the Cardinals are going to be looking for a starting pitcher. Bumgarner could make some sense. Uh, I think they would love to trade uh, shortstop Brandon Crawford, but he's really struggling right now. He's 32, too. I thought he was younger than that, 31 or yeah, 2. Yeah, and the perception among scouts is he's put on some weight. Brandon Belt's contract hasn't worked out. Uh, Buster Posey, like a lot of catchers, you're seeing a very quick regression in his performance, uh, you know, physically and elsewhere. So, yeah, uh, with new new uh, baseball ops chief Farhan Zaidi uh, running the show now, this is just the beginning of what should be a long rebuilding process. They're probably not going to be relevant for at least three more years. Oh yeah, they're. Uh, I mean, it was uh, that was pretty hilarious Sunday though. Uh, Mad bum chasing Max Muncie around, and uh, Max got a lot of tribute for a quote that made no sense. But I, I love Bumgarner after the game saying, "Hey, why can't I be me? This is me." You know, everybody says, "Let these young guys be me." Well, this is me. What a beauty he is. And, and I tell you what, that was a classic example where the the words in black and white uh, turned out to be so much different than when you actually hear Bumgarner uh, speak them. And I listened to the, the recording of that this morning, and he's laughing, like yeah. as he says it, like, hey, you know what, he hit a home run, he stood in the box longer than I thought, and I got to tell you, when I saw the replay of that, I'm like, Max Muncie did nothing wrong. No, no, he didn't. It was just Bumgarner yeah, mad. He was still mad at the plate umpire for a couple of pitches is what the exactly. problem was. Exactly. He got hot, and he was taking it out on Muncie, <laughs> um, and I think he understood, if you heard him after the game, hey, Muncie was doing his thing, I was doing my <laughs> thing, we're all doing our thing. Uh, this is not going to be a Yasiel Puig situation uh, where it's going to drag on and on, um, you know, uh, you hope at some point Madison doesn't throw at him. I don't think he would. No, I don't think he will either. I, I'd love to have him on my team, though. If I was uh, if I was a contender right now, I'd love to have that guy. And look, the big concern about Bumgarner, I think we've talked about this before, is the quality of his fastball and, you know, how good can he be based on his pure stuff. I'd say this, that now that Keuchel has landed with the Atlanta Braves, there are not a lot of teams, I think, that necessarily are going to be willing to pay for starting pitching during the summer in trades. Uh, the Cardinals, as I mentioned, are one. I think the Yankees absolutely will add a starting pitcher uh, during the summertime. You know, everyone's watching the Twins. There's a lot of talk that maybe that would be the team that would land Keuchel. Uh, the Phillies could use one. But there isn't a high volume of, of contending teams 
looking for starting pitching. It's very different with relievers, but in starting pitching, I think that uh, somebody's going to make a good deal for Mumgarner. Uh, would uh, what's a guy like that cost you as a free agent next year? I don't think it would be. Uh, I don't think it would be a hundred. Do you? Maybe I'm wrong, but not uh, based on what we've seen so far. Uh, and he really is. I mean, you talk about someone who's got a lot of money on the line with his performance here in the last three and a half months. Because, as I say, there was definitely a perception of him at the end of 2018 among teams that he was a pitcher in regression. Um, and, and if he continues to be, you know, a guy who's kind of going along and, uh, you know, effective but not great, then that guy probably gets 60 to $70 million. If he kicks butt in the second half and then gets to pitch in the postseason and shows he's Madison Bumgarner again, then to me he's probably going to get a lot more than that, maybe twice as much and more in the 120 to 130 range. Um, we'll see. I, you know, he, of course, had a very team-friendly contract for a lot of years, and he's looking to cash in. Lester, uh, I've, I've talked to you about this before. I mentioned it before. Like three, four years ago, we were terrified about where the game was headed. Uh, we were going to have to lower the mound. The pitching was getting so dominant. And now you see some of these pitching staffs that the Twins are able to face here, Detroit, and uh, some of these uh, teams that are all running out these uh, this collection of eight, nine relievers, and only about two of them, three of them are are competent. It's it's amazing the transition here in three, four years. Revenge of the hitters. Yes, um, and you know no team I think is a better example of that than the Twins in terms of making the adjustment to learning how to hit velocity. And, and that, you know, you think about it, in, in 2014, 2015, suddenly teams were uh, collecting all these hard-throwing relievers and, and parading them out there, and they're striking out a bunch of guys, and hitters really struggle with it. And now what you're seeing is the hitters ad- adjusting and adapting and getting to high fastballs. Um, you know, and now you, you do wonder, and I had a, ca- a really respected coach tell me this spring that he, he thinks you're going to see – the you know in this very cyclical game you're going to see teams begin to value guys who don't throw as hard yes because they become the outliers and there's no better example of that than Kyle Hendricks who has the lowest average fastball velocity of any pitcher in <laughs> baseball and he probably is a contender right now for the National League Cy Young Award and he's throwing it high where you can't throw it he's throwing it up uh, at the letters it's unbelievable a hundred percent you know and and he. Um, you know, I had a really great conversation with him a couple weeks ago about how, because uh, I, I mentioned to him, I said, look, when you follow through, you stand on the mound and watch the hitters uh, and long after the pitch has been called, and you're watch, still watching the hitter. He goes, yeah, I'm t- you know, I'm looking for some tells. I'm looking for huh. to see a, you know, wow. a frustrated swipe of the air with a bat. I'm looking to see them where, the, where their feet are and where their balance is because that's going to inform the next pitch. And you like that, you know, the, the fact that there's that type of guy who's having success in the current generation. We have so many hard throwers. Um, you know, this guy's doing it by watching hitters and, and adapting and reading swings. Pretty cool. Well, and the Twins have this guy, Ryan Harper, that, uh, you know, he was a 10-year minor league free agent. And they brought him in. They He pitched good this spring. They put him in his bullpen. And he's about their second most trusted guy out there now. And he throws 68 on his curveball. And then he throws <laughs> another one, 75. He's got a loop on it. He, I don't think he could hit 90 if you, you know, if you gave him a running start. But, uh, you, you know, it's just they don't 
like the slow curveball anymore, the hitters. No, yesterday I was watching, uh, there was a, um, a game going on in the Cardinals clubhouse, and, and you know, uh, El Capacito, uh, Jose Martinez was in there, and they, I can't remember which side armor it was, and he came into a game, a right-hander who was throwing, you know, probably 85 miles an hour, and <laughs> Jose looked at me and goes, no, don't like those guys. Get those guys out, you know, because he'd rather hit the guy who can throw really hard. And I think there are a lot of hitters in baseball right now where they feel like increasingly they handle the velocity. And so it will be interesting to see if the game boomerangs back the other way. And you do have see teams collect, you know, the slop throwers uh, in a way that maybe last year you didn't see as much. It's impossible to uh, get uh, a, a team like the Twins with all the uh, brainiacs running it now and running around and the Josh Kulks of the world and guys like this uh, to actually tell you what's going on. But Oda Rizzi's one of the most amazing stories in Twins history. The guy was unusable for about half the season last year. It was awful. And uh, what I think he's given up, he's had uh, his last nine games, seven of them have been scoreless, basically. <laughs> right at he's like the American League's version of Kyle Hendricks, right? Yes. We had this fun conversation in our production meeting on Sunday about because I do think, you know, he is at least in the conversation for American League Young Award winner. I think Kyle Hendricks is in the conversation for National League Young Award winner. Um it's it's such a short list of slop throwers <laughs> who've won Cy Young Awards in the National League. I came up with we were going to run this on on air last night but we ran out of time. Um you know, I Randy, Randy Jones in 1976 yes. with the Padres. Fernando Valenzuela with that screwball in 1981. Mm-hmm. Uh, and R.A. Dickey uh, throwing his knuckleball in 2012. Not a lot of guys have that kind of success throwing that way, but maybe the conditions are just primed for it because of what we've been talking about. All these hitters geared up for high velocity. Oda Rizzi's got a little more giddy up up top, but he's also got the fork ball and everything else. Oh, uh, one thing. You mentioned it. I'll, I'll let you go. But knuck, is there a knuckleballer in the game right now? Is Stephen there, Wright. Is, oh, Steve Wright, yeah. The, yeah, and he just pitched uh, the other day for AAA in the Red Sox organization, and I think he'll be called up uh, probably sometime soon he's, here. He's rehabbing, so he yeah, hasn't been exactly. pitching yet. Okay. Hey, Buster, thanks. Call you, I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Patrick. All right, the great Buster Olney, and that was fantastic. And uh, we shall return here on uh, Ricey on Baseball. Manny Hill and Ricey uh, with our baseball podcast, our weekly baseball podcast. We have uh, talked to uh, Buster Olney uh, this week, and I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Manny, I'm watching college baseball. Watched quite a bit of it over the weekend as they were determining the uh, eight-team eight field for the uh, CWS in Omaha and uh, four SEC teams. Uh, Shocker. And uh, Michigan from the Big Ten uh, makes it. Uh, mm-hmm. Big Ten's only had about one. Uh, Indiana was 13, I think, 2013. Uh, Wolverine's in it for the first time since 1984. Was that okay. Barry Larkin? Yeah, might have been. Is he, uh, anyway, he was, uh, you been. know, Michigan makes it. But uh, now I was at the Softball World Series. Mm-hmm. We got quite a few, not here on the Minnesota team, but we have quite a few sisters playing softball. You know, yeah. there's a lot of, I mean, UCLA and, uh, yeah. you know, a lot of a lot of ethnicity yes. in girl in women's softball. 
The girl for UCLA who had to walk off hit oh, to win the championship, yeah. She got the power pack, too. She does. Uh, Aaliyah <laughs> Jordan was his name. Ooh, what a... Oh, oh no. Oh, Garcia. No, that was... No. No, who was the... Yeah, the kid that hit it. But the one that hit the three-run homer off uh, off Pfizer that put that mm-hmm. game away was... Man, she was strong. Aaliyah Jordan. She's, okay. Uh, she's tough. And uh, the Garcia kid was the, you know, the four hitter and the player of the year is a pitcher so uh, mm. pretty good but they got a lot of ethnicity i'm watching college baseball it's for want of a better word it's worse than ever as far as yeah you got a few hispanic kids you know mm-hmm. you got a, maybe an asian kid from hawaii or something playing but there's no black kids i mean there's yeah. I, be, I bet there aren't uh more than seven or eight African-American kids playing in the College World Series, and I think that'd be a generous uh, generous yeah. thing. What the heck? Uh, you know, baseball is – it thought – it looked like they were making some inroads in the drafts of recent mm-hmm. years. And I didn't really study this draft, but I looked at the Twins draft list, and I'm not sure they uh, – you know, more than one or two black kids maybe drafted on the thing. What uh, what's, what's your solution, sir? Is there not? I don't know. I don't know if there is a solution. I think it's just a matter of trying to find the kids that have a passion for it. Yes. You know, or, and or, just or, encouraging them to, to get play. them when they're 10 or 11 and create the passion. Yeah. Right. Or, yeah. But know. it's it's just I, I will just tell you, it's just like they're all playing. It, it, Want to play football here, and basketball. Here's their problem is they can't, you know. They can some of these uh, the black kids can show excellence at ten, eleven, and twelve. Mm-hmm. But you know, Kyler Murray, you you know, yeah. you still go to play football, mm-hmm. and it's they, they, you know, those athletes who try the game and are very good at it, you still have a hard time keeping them. You yeah, know? and I think it's don't you think it's football more than basketball? Because yeah. I, I don't. I mean the the athletic skills required. To play football and baseball are more similar than, you know, six foot eight basketball players, uh, baseball players. Unless you're a pitcher, don't right. uh, you know that strike zone's too damn big. Unless you're yeah. Aaron Judge, but uh, it's uh, I I I don't you know baseball has no talent gap, right? I mean, there's no mm-hmm. great talent gap because it used to be. When we had Willie Mays and Henry Aaron and and, and black uh, players dominated the game. It, they made up about thirty percent of the workforce, you mm-hmm. know. And now, you know, Caribbean, you know, guys from the uh, Caribbean, Latin American countries make up thirty percent of the game, and they're the best athletes in the game for the most part. Mm-hmm. But I always think, where would baseball be, talent-wise, if you could put the the Latin American players with a twenty percent workforce of african-american yeah. athlete if, if, if you could put you know 50 kyler murray's into the game mm-hmm. with the you know with the latin america you know 50 byron buxton's instead of 10 yeah. you know if you could put a sizable part of your workforce was African Americans could go to the Caribbean? I mean, this game would be so good; it'd be frightening, wouldn't it? Yeah, you did. I mean, a lot of speed and just—I <laughs> mean, it—it it would be. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and and Pat, I I just I always look back at you know because when I started following baseball, we've we've had this conversation yes. before. When I when I started really getting into baseball, I was nine ten years old, and the prominent stars in the game, I mean locally here, is yeah. Kirby. Yes. Then you had Junior. Yes. And you know you had Barry Bonds, mm-hmm. and then you had even a lot of guys that may not have been stars, but they were. Home mm-hmm. run hitters, you know, yes. you had the Albert Bells and the Greg Vaughns and mm-hmm. guys that you could just see. And for me, as a young African American, that I could identify with because mm-hmm. these guys were on a huge stage and they were performing well. And then it just sort of, it just sort of tailed off a little bit. Like once those guys were done playing, I, I it just don't think it's, I don't think it's financial or anything like that. Yeah. I think it's just, you know, uh, you know, it's a lot easier to go down to the park and shoot hoops and mm-hmm. get a baseball team together and it, it takes more uh you know organization but uh uh it's uh you know baseball has tried the, what's the name of the, the the program they have that they have the world series usually here uh the rbi you know and, oh yeah yeah, yeah. that yeah. stuff but it, it seems like even that they can't keep those kids hooked yeah. You know, you get them going, and then okay, you're real good at it, but uh, you know what the hell am I? And and the other thing is with football being at its apex of popularity too. It's just it it's, just automatically just draws people in. And people well, want to play and, and, it and you know the game of you know without getting horribly racial about this, football now the workforce is black kids from the south. You mm-hmm. know, basically, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean that's where the that's where, you know, so, you know, black kids from the South used to play baseball. Yeah. You know, Henry Aaron, Willie Mays. Yes. You know, uh, <laughs> Ernie Banks. Yeah. I think Ernie was, I think Ernie was from the South, too. You know, they were, and and now they play football, and and they're the reason that, uh, you know, college, they're the reason that college football, even with, you know, the suburban flight from football that we have, mm-hmm. uh you know, they're the reason you got more talent in football than you've ever had. Uh, you know, better talent. But uh, baseball, it's uh, it's. I watched the College World Series and I said, okay, these kids are good, but I want to see Buxton. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I want to yeah. see. You know, I want to see Buxton. By the way, uh, Chip wrote a column about it today in the Star Tribune. That double of Buxton's the other day was the most <laughs> ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. What the hell? Well, Pat, he's second in the bigs. He's second, he's second in the know, majors and doubles right now. It's Jacoby unbelievable. Jacoby Jones, who plays because he's a great athlete mm-hmm. and has finally started to figure out how to hit. Yep. The look on his face when he looked up and said, he's running the second. What am I going to do? You he, know? He, and it wasn't that he didn't respond, Jones. It was just that he couldn't believe it you yeah know, that, i'm i'm with judd on this in terms with with buxton i think he terrifies people who he does yeah when when he when he hits one into the gap oh yeah you i mean you're you're in panic mode because well, you're like oh my god he's gonna end up he's gonna be in at third base in two seconds plus if you're the shortstop you know and playing traditional positioning uh and you gotta move and if it's not three hops right at you mm-hmm. if you gotta move either direction you're in a full panic Yep, because you're, you know, you you got no margin for error, and you got to get rid of the ball now. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't think we've ever seen a strider like this. You know who he's remindful of? He's, you know, he's faster than, but he's Greg Gagne. 
had those same strides mm-hmm. that you know he ran from he'd run around first and six steps later he'd be running around second <laughs> he's uh it's it's really unusual to see a long strider like that in baseball but uh it's it's fun to to uh to see him finally arrive, because I, this looks to me more legitimate than those two months in 2017. Everything yeah. looks more confident with him. And you know what? Don't look now. These guys are going to have to pay some people here pretty soon. Yeah. This is this is like having the cheap quarterback yeah. right now, the Twins yeah. right now. Because right now, this team, you can have everybody. Mm-hmm. But. I mean, they, they pretty soon, and they got they paid Polanco Kepler and, and they paid Polanco, but they paid but, him below market. Yep, yeah, they played but, him below market. I got news for you: you're not paying Buxton below market. You're not paying Rosario no, below market. Yep. You're not playing Barrios below market, and you better do it quick because the closer they get to, uh, you know. You got uh, you got Buxton still got a little burr under his saddle, so mm-hmm. you're going to have to pay him market, you know, and you're going to have to, you know, if he ends up fourth in the league and MVP voting or something, you better get ready to pay him. And the other thing too, Pat, is depending on what, you know, what else they see from him, you know, what are you going to do with the third baseman too? You know? Yeah. I yeah. mean... It, it, I, it might come down to just a decision yeah. on him. On yeah, he or could not, be the you know. guy you move. Yeah. yeah, he could be. You know, but these guys, you know, he's got. He'll have four years in after this year, I think, service mm-hmm. time. So you only got two years to make up your mind. And if you know, if he has a goes out and has a great year, his fifth year, then you're really in trouble. So yeah, they got some decisions to make. But hey, enjoy the summer. What the heck? This is a fun club. All right, uh, we'll be back next week. TK doubleheader, Ricey and Manny on baseball. Call of Duty Modern Warfare is here, and so is Mountain Dew. Roger that. Now you can unlock in-game rewards like only Dew can. Wait, what rewards? A Dew Operator Skin. Man, I love Operator Skins. Dual double XP, and even Call of Duty Points. You're kidding me. Double XP and Call of Duty Points? This is incredible. I can't believe it. Soldier, get a hold of yourself. Oh, roger that. Look for specially marked packaging and visit mtndugaming.com for details and restrictions. Open to U.S. residents 17 plus. College duty points available on 12 and 24 packs and free 20 and 23. The Venture X Card from Capital One gives you more of what you love, like premium travel benefits and access to Taylor Swift tickets. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. Plus, get access to Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, presented by Capital One. Maybe I'll see you there. The Venture X Card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.